All right. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for another day. Thank you for the opportunity once again to be here together to worship you. And uh, I just, uh, just pray that you would speak to us today, uh, all of us. Speak to me as well, uh, that, uh, that we would hear you calling, that we would recall your words uh, not only as you speak to us today, but uh, as you have spoken to us in the past, as we go through our our daily walk, uh, Lord, that we would that we would stay true, that we would always be ready uh, to give that answer for the hope that is within us, that we would always be ready to stand up for the sake of your name and say, "Yes, I belong to Jesus." Open our hearts to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It is an increasingly difficult world that we live in. Now, I hesitate to compare our lot with those who are truly suffering around the world that are dealing with with true persecution, where their lives are in danger, their their livelihoods are in danger, their families are in danger. But even under the light version that we experience here, not that none of those things have happened, they have happened, uh, and uh, they're likely to increase, I think. But we still have it pretty easy here. And yet still, we... We're silent when we ought not to be silent. We, we hide from any, any hint of, of, of persecution, any hint of difficulty that might arise from, from living out our faith as we should. And even our churches have abandoned the truth that we might please the world, that we might fit in a little better, that people might like us a little bit better. And it might not be said that way, but that's the end result. We have, uh, we've accepted the world's version of the truth and tried to integrate it with the real truth, and it doesn't work. I wish that I could say that I'm totally immune to that, but I, my desire to be accepted has led me to say and do things that I shouldn't have. Because I wanted to fit in, I wanted to be like everybody else, or if not like them, at least accepted by them. You know, we have typically associate that behavior with peer pressure as teenagers, but it doesn't change when we get grown up and we go to work. It just uh, it's just a little bit. The topics are a little bit different. The uh, the pressures are different, but they're still there, and we want to go along, and we want to get along. And it's good to get along, but sometimes we need to stand up for what's right. It's, I'm tempted sometimes to keep silent lest I jeopardize my chances of employment. I think about these things even now. Uh, all the big corporations that use the the knowledge that I have have 
become committed to things that are evil. Whether it be the, uh, the LGBT agenda, whether it be the uh, abortion, whether it be the, the whole transgender movement, uh, whether it be racism that now masquerades as diversity and inclusion, you name it. Uh, it's easier just to be quiet, pull back on the social media, don't say things that might offend people and, and might hurt your chances. And it's especially challenging for me in the area of DEI because guess where people with disability get slotted? Same, same set, same set of folks. And so, you know, you benefit from that. How dare you criticize? I hope that nobody, well, I can't say that because I know it's not true, but I hope that at least most people uh, don't want to get the position that they get because they met somebody's quota and not because they know how to do the job. That's certainly not what I want. But so I think about these things. Maybe I ought to back off. Maybe I ought to say less about certain topics. I, they, might, they might choose not to hire me. But I can't. I, I've thought about it and I realized, no, I can't be other than who I am. I cannot deny the truth. I cannot deny my Lord. I know who I am. And I've heard the rooster crow. I've got to remember where I came from and stay true to it. The choice is always before us. You know, we're going to talk, we're going to read the story of Peter today. And, and like Peter, we've all been told that we're going to fall. The Bible makes it quite clear that the only reason we have a chance, that we're none of, all of us have sinned, nobody's righteous, the only reason why uh, we have an opportunity, the only reason why we have uh, a chance at life is because he gave it to us on that cross. So it's a brief, it's a foregone conclusion. We have all fallen, we've all, we're all going to fall, but the truth is given to us in his word, And He has provided our means of redemption. It's, this is why we need Jesus. And so when we remember the words that He said, when we hear that rooster crow, let us repent and return to following Him. Our text today comes from John chapter 18 as we continue our study. Jesus and his disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been praying. He's been fervently asking that that this be that there might be another way, but in the end, submitting to the Father's will. His disciples, meanwhile, are asleep. And after the third time he comes to wake them up. Judas arrives on the scene with this contingent of, of soldiers along with the officers of the chief priest. There's, there's a minimum of 600 people. That's just the soldiers. They were 
probably a lot of there were a lot of other people there too. A huge crowd has come. Jesus is taken away. Peter and John, the rest of them run away, but Peter and John follow. We're pretty sure it's John. I guess there could be some question because he never the name is never mentioned, but follows with everything else that we know that it's John. They follow Jesus to the trial. But Jesus predicted exactly that. He said, you're all going to fall away. You're all going to be scattered because of me. But now we'll pick up as, as, they, as they arrive at the courtyard of the high priest. John chapter 18, verses 12 through 27, a bit of a long passage. But I couldn't figure out any way to break it down. So the Roman home court, home, <clears throat> so the Roman cohort and the commander of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better that one man for one man to die on behalf of the people. And Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was the other disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, Are you not also one of this man's disciples? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves, and Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. And I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. Behold, they know what I said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby gave Jesus a slap, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, bear witness to the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest 
being a relative of the one whose ear Peter had cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Now, one of the questions that arises when we read this that, that might be a little bit confusing is, who is the high priest here? Because in verse 13, it tells us that he was first led to Annas, the father-in-law of the current high priest, who is identified as Caiaphas. Well, then we're told that this is the court of the high priest that they're in. Uh, Peter is brought by John, who knows the high priest in 15 and 16, uh, he's questioned by the high priest in 19 through 23, and yet at the end, he is sent to Caiaphas, already identified as the high priest. So who's he been talking to? Well, to clear this up a little bit, we have to know a historical fact that Annas was the high priest several years previous to Caiaphas being the high priest. So much like it's very likely that he retained the title, even though the, he no longer retained the office, much the same way that we call our former presidents president, even though they're no longer holding the office of president. So at this point, the conversation is probably uh, with, with Annas. Because then he's, he's sent to Caiaphas, which it could very well have been in the same location. Could have uh, just been a transfer even within the same building, uh, not necessarily having to go anywhere. But the accounts of Peter's denial seem to cross over between both of these both of these trials. One here that John tells us about, and the uh, trial before the Sanhedrin that we hear about from the other gospel writers. Now, at 14, you have John making a reference here to Caiaphas having, having prophesied that it was, it was better for one man to die for the, the sins of the people. John tells us that he did that, not realizing not, you know, that it was a prophecy. He was high priest that year, uh, and uh, he didn't know he was speaking prophetically, but he was. And that's back in John chapter 11, where uh, Lazarus had just been raised from the dead, and that is when they hatched the plot to uh, to capture and, and kill Jesus at least the la at least the latest one I think they think they'd already tried it a couple times before but so this trial that John records in 19 through 23 uh, it appears to be separate from or not really a trial per se but a, a, a pre-trial if you will um, of course it was, it was all a sham uh, but this appears to have happened before what we read in Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Where Jesus is questioned. And Jesus is essentially responding here. It seems like a belligerent question. 
But what Jesus is essentially doing is pointing out the fact that at, at this point, where are your witnesses? You're asking me what I teach. You're asking me about my disciples. I've never done anything in secret. Where are your witnesses? If I've done something wrong, where is your proof? If you, uh, the law says that if you're going to convict somebody, you've got to have two or three witnesses. At this point, they don't have any. Now, later on, uh, when the, when they come before the full court, there's going to be some witnesses that show up, but they're all they false witnesses. They can't get their story straight. They couldn't find any, even though they tried. So Jesus then uh, makes this makes this response, and and uh, one of the people that is there slapped him. Because uh, no doubt he understood the judgment implied in his words. And so Jesus challenges him to identify the, identify the error. Identify what was wrong in what I said. Otherwise, you violated the law. You have uh, you, you've struck me in violation of the law. And Jesus, of course, is going to submit. He's going to be crucified. He's, he's going to allow all of this to go forward. But John here is just allowing us to see the the utter uh, the utter wrongness of, of what they're doing, and and the the fact that this was this was uh, what was in their hearts. He's given us insight into into his accusers. The verdict here was was predefined. They were just looking for a way to make it stick. Others record between, John really doesn't give us anything now between this point and the point at which they take him to, to Pilate. The others give us the, the show trial before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin where the false witnesses come up, where Jesus has a little bit more to say, eventually responding to the demand that he identify himself uh, that yes, yes I am. Again, those those famous words, I am. He said, tell us if you're the Son of God, I am, and you will see the Son of Man coming in the crowds of clouds of glory. Uh, at that point, well, they decided they had him. John doesn't give us all that. He skips right to the, the, uh, the trial before Pilate, which we'll look at probably next week. But also during this time... Uh, you know, we have the, the one strike that's recorded here, but also this, during this time, the, the abuse begins, the mocking begins, and, and they begin to, uh, begin to mistreat him. And Peter, watching all of this, sometime, passes between these denials and you almost have to look at all the well you do you have to look at all the different accounts and kind of put it all together to kind of get a picture of what's happening with Peter during this time some time passes between each of the denials you can tell that from from Luke's account and I have to wonder what Peter might have been feeling at this point 
His love and devotion has kept him there. He didn't run away like the rest. He's right there in the courtyard. And yet, when he sees what's happening, when he sees Jesus being beaten, when he sees Jesus being trialed, and he can tell, he can tell that there's no, that this is not going to end well. He suddenly becomes overcome with fear. And maybe he's a little bit confused because it wasn't supposed to happen this way. After all, he's supposed to be the Messiah. I already believe that, but now what, what, what's this that's happening? Now fighting, he understood. He'd already tried it in the garden, but Jesus had put a stop to that. Well, what am I supposed to do? So now fear has gripped him. And all four records, all four Gospels rather, record this denial. And I think that is significant. And at least one of the reasons, haven't gone into great detail to figure, to, to find, uh, find out what others are saying about it, but I think one of the reasons why it's recorded in all four of the Gospels is because of the, it highlights the redemptive nature of Jesus. Because even though here his, one of his closest associates is, is denying any association with him. Peter later becomes a, a pillar in the church, a leader in the church whose letters we still read today. And so we see here in Peter's story the story of Jesus' redemption. The first denial, as we're told here by John, is a response to the, the servant girl who let him in. And it apparently didn't occur as soon as she let him in. It was apparently a little bit later, just based on the other accounts. He'd already seated himself at the fire, uh, based on what Matthew and Mark tell us. Uh, actually, all three of the Gospels. Uh, the other Gospels. And he gets up then and moves outside to the porch or the gateway of this, because uh, the court, the place would have been a, kind of a, a court, a, uh, a walled compound kind of setup where you had a courtyard and you had a gate into the into the structure. And so he's gone out there. And the second denial happens, the response to yet another slave girl who's telling others that uh, this is him. And then that uh, is backed up then by the first, Matthew tells us that's backed up by the first girl that saw him. And at least one other person pipes up and says something. So all these people are, are saying, well, it, apparently then his language gets a little colorful as he denies. Matthew tells us that. And then the third time happens. It, it's been about an hour, according to Luke, And he's responding to bystanders who point out that his accent has pointed him out as, as being from Galilee. As they, they were kind of a backwater area. They, the accent was a little different. Kind of like somebody from Alabama, maybe. Uh, sorry, I had to pick on somebody. Uh, but Arkansas is just as bad where I'm from. So, uh, But in any case... What also that tells us is that Peter hadn't stopped talking yet. He's still going on. 
But then one of the relatives of the slave that uh, that he cut off his ear, which John tells us, speaks up. Didn't I see you there? Well, then we find out from Mark and from Matthew that uh, he even more colorfully denies the, his association. So he's not just saying no, he's saying heck no. And then two things happen. He hears the rooster crow. And then Luke tells us that Jesus, who was apparently within sight and within earshot of him, turned and looked at him. And so now he departs in tears. And I can imagine his thoughts at this point. Wow. Maybe he was right when he called me Satan. Maybe he was remembering when Jesus said, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 10.33. He may think about Judas and what Judas did and wonder if he's really any better. He's denied knowing his Lord and his best friend. And so he leaves the scene. But he leaves the scene with true remorse for what he's done. And Jesus is going to restore him. And John highlights the nature of Jesus all throughout his gospel. His divinity is revealed in the works that he does, in the things that he knows, in the words that he speaks. He is the great I am. And his humanity is also evident in the interactions with his earthly family that John gives us, in his his weariness as he sat there at the well where he meets the Samaritan woman, and his grief over, over Lazarus, and really I think over much more than Lazarus, uh, there before he was to raise him from the dead. His submission to the Father, again by his own words, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And by his action, as he assures his own execution, his character, no one could be found to convict him. And he'd already said at the, uh, one of the other times they were getting ready to stone him, which one of you convicts me of sin? John, I think, is also highlighting this by, by pointing out that before he got to the Sanhedrin, they didn't have many, there was nobody there. There were no accusers. And the others show us that the ones they did find were false. And yet, though he lived a perfect and sinless life, the world hated him because the world hates the light. And the religious leaders proved themselves to be of the world, though they claimed to be otherwise, by their actions. The Romans are there 
simply doing exactly what one expects them to do. But nevertheless, they struck fear into the followers of Jesus. Now we know about Peter in his denials, but he was not alone. Now we don't have record of anybody else speaking words, but most of them ran off and left at the first opportunity. They weren't even willing to face the crowd, much less have anything to say about it. Now, you know, that's, that can be, that's certainly understandable. We've already said there were uh, well over 600 people here who came out to get Jesus. It uh, kind of looked like a lost cause. Peter, at least, mustered up enough courage to, to follow him even into the enemy's, the, uh, the enemy's stronghold, if you will. But in the end, he succumbed to the fear. But I want you to think about something. There was another person who felt remorse that night. Judas also felt remorse that night when he saw the way things were going to go. When Peter heard that rooster crow, he remembered and wept. At that point, I think he could be said to have had a repentant heart. He truly regretted what he did. Now, we don't know what caused Judas to have his regrets. He said, I betrayed innocent blood. But Judas went out and hung himself. We have two ways that we can respond to the mistakes that we make. We can either go back to our Lord in repentance. We can truly be, be we can express our remorse in, in repentance. Or we can spiral down into self-pity and get worse and worse and end up, end up losing our life, maybe not necessarily taking it, although many people do, sadly. But it, it's a, a, a self-defeating spiral to just continue to, to, to sink down in the guilt when you know the person who can remove the guilt from you. So, I'm speaking primarily Christians today, though certainly the invitation is open to all, because we all have to repent. We all have to get our lives right before the Lord. So for some, it might be the first time. For some of us, maybe we're coming back. All of us have fallen at some point. Even after we accepted him, we've, we've sinned. We've messed up somewhere along the line. How many times have we kept silent when we should have spoken? How many times have we gone along with wickedness because we feared the consequences of resisting? 
caving to pressure at work or maybe even contributing to uh, uh, organizations that we know uh, are are suspect or putting our money toward things that, that we don't want because it's easier than, than bucking the crowd. How many times have we stand outright? Because that's just what we wanted to do. But Jesus is still calling. And those reminders will come to us. Peter heard the crow of a rooster, which caused him to remember what Jesus said. Before that rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. For us, the rooster might take the form of words that other believing brothers and sisters speak. It might take the form of a passage of Scripture that is brought back to our minds that we read and we know the truth of it. It might take the form of even lyrics to a song. When I was 17, I remember going through a period in which I was struggling a little bit with my faith. Not so much that I didn't believe as that I, I didn't, I thought it was just too hard. That I just didn't have what it takes. The, 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 what was asked of me was more than I could give and, and I just wanted to try some other way. And I had my, my tapes with the, the heavy metal and I was listening on the bus. But one of those one of those heavy metal bands was Striper, which is a, a Christian brand if you, if you, band. If you don't remember, they were one of the first Christian uh, heavy rock bands, and uh, you know of that particular genre anyway. And uh, they had a song, and I don't remember any of the other words to speak of except for one phrase. And I can still hear it in my head. It said, "It's time for you to start giving God all the glory." And it just went, I can't do this. I can't live this way. I know better. I know that God is the, 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 I know that He is God. I know that He's real and I cannot turn away from that. And it didn't happen immediately, but I just remember that being the point at which that rooster crowed for me. And I knew I couldn't deny Him. Or maybe the it's a memento from some past experience, a, a picture on your wall, a figurine, whatever it is for you. We've all heard it. We've all heard that rooster crow. And we know that Jesus is capable of redemption. We, we saw it. We see it in the life of Peter. And we'll get to read about it again, uh, as, as Jesus makes a point of bringing him back into the fold later on and and making sure that he understands you have a mission, you have a purpose. I want you. I want you taking care of my people. Forgiveness and restoration await the repentant. We have so few people here today, I think it would just be uncomfortable if I did what I was going to do. Uh, and I don't have anybody in my mind. I'm not thinking, sitting here thinking, oh, I, I, 
I sure hope old so-and-so gets the message today because I'm tired of saying it. I'm, I'm not thinking that at all. Uh, but I was going to, uh, I was going to actually give a standard invitation. I, I think I'm going to forego that. But, uh, please, if you, uh, if you need, if you'd like to pray or if you'd like to talk about something, um, if you're hearing that rooster crow, Let's start moving back in the right direction. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you do love us, that you do keep calling us back in, in any way that we can hear it. It doesn't even have to be uh, anything supernatural. In, in this case, it was just the natural course of events. The light starts, the sky starts to lighten up, the roosters start to grow. But that was the key, that was the cue that Peter needed to bring him back. Lord, I pray that we would all be faithful to you, uh, that we would confess you before men, that we would continue to spread your word, to bring as many people into your family as will come. That's our job here, to go to all nations and make disciples, or to go make disciples of all nations. All nations are right here in our backyard. So thank you, Lord. Help us as we endeavor to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.